What's happening? Thanks for pushing play. Before we get into the episode, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcasting platform and please leave a five-star rating and review. Let's get the show out to as many other cash flow veterans out there as possible, those who are looking to secede from the current system and change their life one day at a time. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Cashflow Veteran Daily Newsletter. You can find that at cashflowveteran.com and download my latest ebook. Welcome to Cashflow Veteran. This is John, your host. This is for military members, veterans, spouses, and anybody else affiliated with the military. This show is where fighting for your financial freedom is just as important as your political freedom. Let's get to it. What's going on, everyone? This is John Payne with Cashflow Veteran. Today, I have a, a really good friend of mine. Um, started out as a, as a relationship of, of we'll say, teacher and student, Jedi and Padawan, as you will. I have Tim Joyce here. So what's going on, Tim? How are you, man? Oh, another day, another dollar, man. Yeah, fair enough. So uh, Tim and I go back uh, as far as my Air Force career, one of the last two years active duty that I did, I was an ICBM uh, undergraduate uh, training instructor for uh, the inter- intercontinental ballistic missiles that our Air Force has. Um, and he ended up also going to Mount Firm where I was prior to actually being an instructor out at Vandenberg Air Force Base. And so that's really kind of where we met. Um, and he certainly had some, uh, was already delving into real estate a little bit, uh, at least learning some of that stuff. And we also have some, uh, uh, some, some people that we know as well that were running an education company. Um, and we've looked at doing some deals and other stuff with them as well. And so we, we had a well, I tried to give them the best possible trending I could. I can't necessarily say that it paid off. I don't know. You tell me. Oh, it went well. It went just fine. <laughs> it went just fine. <laughs> uh, but we certainly had plenty of conversations about entrepreneurship, about business. Um, uh, you know, certainly our talks were one of the reasons why I tried to make sure I could do a, uh, you know, a quick briefing just for, hey, these are these are some financial food for thought for anybody uh, that is uh, new to the Air Force. Uh, you know, what what you need to be thinking about when you actually go out to uh, your new duty station. Should you get a VA loan? Should you not get a VA loan? The time old question, should you rent? Should you buy uh, wherever you're going uh, as a military member? It's one of that, those age old questions uh, with your, your, with your base housing allowance and all that stuff too. So, um, so before we get into some of that, man, what uh, just overall, like what's your history, where you come from? And then uh, specifically with uh, a little bit more about your military background and then also what you're doing professionally today. And then we'll delve into a little bit more of the real estate and real estate investing. Yeah, so I'm Tim Choice, uh, born in Germany to military family, moved over to North Carolina when I was two, stayed there pretty much forever. Went to college, Charlotte, North Carolina, got a degree in criminal justice, aka a degree so that I could get commissioned in the Air Force, and became an ICBM guy over here playing with nukes and whatnot. Nice, right on. Um, so uh, you're not in the military anymore. So obviously you got the beard going on and everything too. So, I know. um, but tell me a little bit about, um, about the time, how many years you spent kind of up, up North before you decided to get out and tell me a little bit more about why you decided to get out. So the job, I really didn't have a problem with the job. Wasn't that hard at all. It's a tremendously important job. And I don't know. I just felt like if I had a little bit more time, I could create a little bit more financial freedom for my future family that I plan on having and whatnot. But 
spent ooh, a total of two, maybe three years up in Montana. Beautiful place. I highly recommend it to everybody. And now the place I'm in is just a gold mine for real estate. And it just kept growing on me. So I was like, why not? You give me some more time and just see if I can take advantage of it. Yeah. So what are you doing professionally these days? So right now I'm a realtor. I've been doing that since so I was doing it while I was active duty as well. So a lot of caffeine, not much sleeping going on there trying to do miscellaneous life and being a realtor. But um, yeah, so now I just sell houses full time. I actually DoorDash in my free time now because I guess I got addicted to doing more than one job at a time and it's good hustle travel money. And now I'm actually working on transitioning into lending. So gotcha, right on. Um, so obviously you got uh, interested in kind of real estate investing. So as far as like an investor goes, what are some of the things that got you interested in investing to begin with, but also kind of where has that led you um, as far as getting some deals done or getting deals done for other people or, or whatever you, you choose to do in your investing career? I would say I've been around people who are just interested in real estate investing, yourself included, had a roommate, Chris, he was also interested in it. And then I got on YouTube because I just like learning and the information age is fantastic yep. and learned about wholesaling. I was like, oh, this is pretty sweet. And then learned about house hacking. And I was like, oh, this is pretty sweet as well. And then just kept diving into it. And yeah, I, I think know. some of that has helped me actually do regular real estate deals where I do some creative real estate investing type amendments and addendums just to try to get the deals closed and whatnot. Yeah, right on. Um, so why so why are you getting into uh, the lending side then? Uh, yes. So as a real estate agent, I am probably walking a bunch of different houses. I'm in crawl spaces taking videos for people who may never even move into town and do stuff. And then I found out that lending is doing, they're making pretty solid money over there being lenders and still being a part of the real estate process itself. It seems like I'll have more flexibility and time. I know that's all I've been going for is trying to gather more time. And I think that's going to be able to do it. If I can do loans electronically and take my laptop and be somewhere with my family and still make money, that sounds fantastic to me. Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess, um, you know, obviously, you know, you and I kind of both have more, I guess, libertarian leanings in general for a lot of stuff anyway. So um, from kind of a lending perspective and, and just a real estate perspective in general, you know, we talked a ton about, and certainly some of my predictions back then are, are, are wrong today, but, um, but we, we talked a lot about the actual market itself. And I'm just thinking like with all the money printing that's going on, our, it's a lot, number one, just the sheer amount of production that comes out of all the technology, um, whether the, not necessarily saying stock market or anything like that, but just the amount of productive capacity we ne- we've been able to increase in the flattening where everyone seems to be starting, starting a side hustle. And I think people should, um, you know, you know, it, it seems like the bubble didn't quite burst and I, I'm still not sure. I, I, I think we're kind of on that. I think we're on the leading edge kind of, of that, of that bursting bubble actually. So, um, but we, you know, we talked about it from the 2008 crash and why that even happened in the first place. And that was at the time I was reading, you know, a lot more books about, um, just bubbles in general. And that's really where I stumbled upon, um, certainly the more libertarian friendly, uh, economics, school, which is the Austrian uh, cycle, uh, Austrian school uh, for the business cycle. And um, so what do you see from your experience over the last few years of, 
uh, where we're at kind of in the market cycle and, and what do you think kind of is going to happen in the future? I've always thought that the Fed keeping us near zero interest rates, rates should have been raised a long time ago and whatnot, but I just feel like it could be so corrupt. And even with the whole COVID thing happening and businesses shutting down and I'm like, okay, well, if we're at near zero interest rates and we can't lower them anymore. What ammo do they have? And I'm realizing that they just can make rules up as they go. So at this point, <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, yeah. Because sellers took their stuff off the market yep. when COVID happened, but I don't know why, because none of the buyers stopped coming in. So yep. the market stayed healthy there. You know, if anything, prices went up because people were still trying to buy houses, but there was just nothing available. And I mean, now sellers are starting to put their stuff back on the market and interest rates are lower and mortgage rates went lower. So even more buyers are coming in and everyone's refinancing. So, I mean, yeah. it just seems like business as usual, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting offers all the time for freaking refinances. It's, it's nuts. It's, um, insane. it's, it's just crazy. Um, so I guess uh, I'll come back to some of those ideas that are kind of bounce around in my head a little bit, but what are some of the lessons that you've actually learned from, uh, delving into real estate investing. And then obviously you focus more on just the, the sales side of the real estate market. And now you're getting into lending, but what are some of those lessons that you've learned from uh, part of your kind of investing education, but then also where you're at right now? Um, and, and where do you kind of see, obviously you're going into lending, but where do you kind of see that going even from there? So I can tell because I there are people who are more successful than me that I just listen to and learn from. I just try to be a little bit of a sponge there. And it creates a generational wealth. And once you have money in the real estate game, it starts flipping and getting out of control. So you, I know somebody who has about four multifamily properties and they had equity built up in them over time. And they were like, well, I'm thinking about buying this one property. So they just with the equity together and got a line of credit and just purchased it. So like all that money that they didn't have sitting in their pocket, but they had equity of, they just took it from one place, moved it to another and made like another two grand in cash flow every month. And I'm like, this is cheating. So <laughs> I mean, but I mean, even the whole tax code is set up for investors. So I mean, it just seems like most millionaires are created from real estate it's the way to go. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, do you have any moral compunctions about trying to become a millionaire yourself? Absolutely not. I would like to be a billionaire philanthropist. Um, yeah. I want people to accuse me of being Bill Gates, but I actually don't want to be sketchy at all. I want to act. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, so, you, you mentioned some of those resources. I certainly don't mind you plugging some of those other resources that people can learn from. I certainly know for me, uh, bigger pockets is one of the biggest resources that I, I ever learned from. Um, just Josh Dorkin uh, putting that whole thing together where, I mean, you can find every single answer you're specifically looking for for free on their forum. But mm -hmm. of course, you know, they sell courses, they sell uh, membership and other things there, but you don't need any of that if you really will do the work to actually go search that stuff. So what are right. some of the other resources you found? Uh, definitely just YouTube. Everyone's pretty much doing the same thing, but just packaged differently. Yeah. Um, I've actually thought about starting a course myself and starting a YouTube channel. I'm actually just starting to create some videos there. And what I've seen is that 
people are actually, they don't want to search for it. I don't want to call it lazy. It's almost like if you have $40, $50, why am I going to spend six, seven hours searching YouTube for accurate information when I can just go ahead and find something that I know is proven is going to work. So, but if you want to do it for free, I mean, that's how I did it. I didn't pay any money for any course. Just if you have the hours to get on bigger pockets and ask questions and go through YouTube, you, you can find your answers or just go out and network. Yeah, for sure. Accounts. You know, it's, it, it, it's funny. You just kind of say it that way. Cause I, I certainly understand why people pay money you right. know, to, to have a little bit of a shortcut. Obviously there's, I think there is a problem. Cause I know I was kind of a, a course junkie for a while where I was like, maybe, maybe this book, maybe this course is going to have right. that one thing that's going to just take me over the top. And it's, it was kind of, in my mind, it was keeping me away from actually doing the work because no matter what you do, you're going to have to do the work at some point. Right. Um, but I certainly understand why um, people would want to save the amount of time. You know, they got, they got families, they got lives, they have other things. Exactly. To, I completely get done. that. So uh, I, I certainly, when they're putting money down, you know, they're, they're trading, you know, a dollar amount for the time that they're trying to save in order to do that. And it makes total sense to me for them to do that. Mm-hmm. Time's um, more than money. That's something I learned. <laughs> yeah. Sales and marketing is one of the most important things for you owning or starting a business. In fact, when you're starting a business, you wear every single hat. And the thing is, is we actually sell, influence, and market things every day by the types of shirts we wear, the shoes we wear, the watches we wear, the cars we drive. I mean, you name it, we are constantly advertising for someone else. Now, rather than just taking a whole bunch of different personality tests that are out there, some are obviously more scientifically valid than others, one of the best things that I did for myself was taking Perry Marshall's DNA marketing test. It answered the question, should I be writing advertising copy? Should I be trying to do face-to-face sales? Should I try to do webinars? Should I try to produce more video content, doing audio content? Should I try to get into negotiations? Should I take the time to be a website designer? And one of the crazy things that I found was I should be talking to people. I should be getting face-to-face and I should be doing copy. And that's why I do my email list every single day so that I can practice something that I'm already ready to do. And the fact is... I figured that out. As soon as I took this test, I thought about all my previous experience. It's why I enjoyed doing instructing within the Air Force for so long. It's why I enjoyed uh, my political science major in writing persuasive papers and actually why I actually enjoy getting in front of other people and discussing ideas and having very healthy debate with people about it. It's why I enjoy doing that. And honestly, when I took this test, my score is 7947 and You know, that means nothing to you. I just know specifically what I'm supposed to be focusing on as a sales and marketer has actually made it much more enjoyable as I've started building my business. So with that, go to cashflowveteran.com slash marketing DNA. Take your DNA test today so you know exactly where to start. And don't focus on the things you're not good at. Focus only on the things that you're good at to get your entrepreneurship message out there. Yeah. So you're getting into the lending side. I guess you had mentioned it earlier and I I have a theory and I I guess I'll pitch it to you real quick. Um, And I also should preface, it's not my theory per se. Um, Uh Uh-oh. It's somewhere. Give me a sec. (laughs) So here's one. 
I must have put it back with some of the other books and stuff that I had. Oh, it's way up above me. There's no way I'm going to go get that. That way I don't flash you guys with my pants or something. Um, so it's, it's called the everything bubble. And there's also the skyscraper curse. I went over those the last time because I was getting into the infinite banking concept a little bit more about how you use a whole life insurance policy um, mm. as, a, as a cash flow management vehicle. It's not investment. It's not savings. It's not just life insurance, but it's using something like that as a concept to, to make sure that you can manage the cash flow and actually secede from the banking system and the banking cartel that's out there. Um, and, and obviously, you're kind of getting into the lending side. Um, but in the everything bubble, one of the things that they talked about was that we are actually in this country and I believe it, I think we're, we're headed there, but we're actually going to go into the negative interest rate uh, territory. And because that's already been tried, they've already been doing that in Europe. They've already been doing that in Japan for uh, over 20 years. I think at this point, I think they entered that territory in the 1990s. Um, and we're going to go there. And I don't think people really understand the implications of right. what that is. I mean, what, what's your thoughts on that? Do you, I mean, do you see that coming and how, how do you think it's going to impact the economy overall or even just real estate in general? Well, I'm the one who thought that the next market crash or massive correction, we wouldn't be able to fix it by lowering interest rates. And they just started making up new rules to fix it. So at this point, I, I don't know. I feel like the corruption is too far with the Fed to even matter. I definitely see it going into negative interest rates. I think mortgages, they're never going to get into negative interest rates or anything crazy like that because they still have to make money at the end of the day and they have other investors and too many other things are wrapped up. But what's that going to do to savings accounts? I mean, savings accounts already don't pay anything anyways. So right. they'll find a different vehicle they'll find a way to make money. They, they have the money and they make the rules. So, well, I think, I think it's interesting. And, and I guess I should clarify a little bit. So when we're talking negative interest rates, I'm specifically talking about the federal funds uh, exchange right. rate. And, and that's what the fed basically uses to, to make sure that they're controlling, you know, bank to bank, at least from the institutional banking perspective, mm -hmm. but then that's kind of the floor level. And they, then they trade or at least offer, uh, loan packages or other lending packages that are obviously marked up with other interest rates. And so they're making that differential right. between what they can kind of get printed money for versus what they can lend it out for and then make money on that return. And they tend to push in my mind, at least as far as uh, dollar amounts and everything go, that's why it's easier to get like fixed loans that actually have uh, a, on the amortization schedule rather than just doing the, the open credit, um, which actually open credit, while it can be dangerous, it actually, in my mind, kind of benefits the individual a little bit more because right. of how the, how the interest is calculated versus your mortgage or your other loans that are out there. We're literally within the first 25% of you paying that loan or even the first, um, I think it's even in the first 10 to 15% of paying a loan, you're paying almost over 50% of the value of interest alone without right. actually dipping into the principal or mm -hmm. whatever asset value you actually have, which I think is, is, you know, I guess genius from a banking cartels perspective, right. but, but detrimental to a lot of other people, at least the I customers. Mean, if you take advantage of it somehow, well, that's the thing. That's the difference between getting like multifamily properties and single family properties. Right. You get some multifamily properties. Sure. I might be paying a little bit of interest, but that's a tax write off. So I don't really care. And then eventually if I paid off enough, paid off enough principal and then I, they, 
entice me to refinance so they get to make more interest money off of me. I still get to write off my taxes, but I probably have a lower payment, so I cash flow more. So, I mean, you know, I'm going to let them do their thing, and then I'm just going to try to get as much cash flow as possible and try not to worry about it, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the ideas that I have with this in general, I hope anybody listening can kind of follow along with my thought process here, but I'm, I'm certainly, you know, from a, from a philosophical perspective, I think, you know, most, most philosophies, they certainly have that pure aspect to it. And this is inherently a problem, but then we also have to be people that, that work within the space and time and circumstances that we're given. So that's, that's why with cash flow veteran, like, you know, all of the income that you get, whether you're active duty, whether it's through retirement, whether the benefits that you get through TRICARE or, or the VA, all of that stuff is contributing to the debt and it's contributing to the problem, which they just keep printing more money for. And it's also, in right. my mind, one of the reasons why we keep fighting wars, because it's that's one way to ensure that we can actually keep it going. I, I think the TSP and a lot of the other 401k styles, the IRAs, I mean, I almost sometimes want to look at it and go, you know, if the government is making it an advantage for somebody as a benefit, I tend to think that it actually uh, hurts people or at least has a, there are some downsides people aren't thinking about. There's a deeper meaning somewhere. There's, there's some other ulterior motive. Yeah. And, and that's what they're almost forcing themselves from, from running policies like that that are now getting them into that negative interest rate territory. And in, in the podcast that I did for last month, when I was talking about kind of improving your personal economy in general, I, I drew out that analogy to say, you know, if you have to basically negative interest rates, absolutely punish savers. I mean, if you're trying to oh, save yeah. money in a bank account, you're going to get pummeled for doing that. Um, Cause it makes no sense for you. I mean, inflation number one is going to eat away the value of your money, but now as you store money, they're basically going to be taking away that money when it goes into your bank account for savings. Cause those will end up probably going negative as well. Right. Um, and so what I showed is just, if you're just buying, you know, you're trying to do the right thing, whether that's, you know, the Dave Ramsey strategy or anybody else is saying, you know what, save for a gently used car and pay cash for it. That way you don't have to go get a loan. You're trying to get yourself out of the banking system but I showed them like, if you're saving that money, if you're putting a certain amount of money over like say three years. So instead of getting the car now and then starting a payment of a three-year payment or a five-year payment, you save for three years. Um, I showed, I showed how much money today with the right inflation that we have of what the value of that car might be as far as an inflation and how a $15,000 car today will cost more, um, with, with the same features, the same benefits, all that stuff. And then I showed like, okay, fine, you save it. Let's just say that inflation is zero. Like there's no real net change for you. Well, even if you're saving that money, you, you're probably having to put more away than you really think. Then I showed in comparison to that, what happens when you uh, have a negative interest rate. And I don't think people, you know, people talk about compounding being one of the, the great, uh, basically the driver behind investing. Well, it also works the other way when they now go to negative interest rates, Mm -hmm. you're now compounding losing money by having to go negative and trying to save. Like it just pummels people who are trying to save and do the right thing. There's almost no reason not to just go get loaned to the hilt. Um, And especially if if they're really going to come out with the UBI and really just try to bail every individual person out. And that's just going to cause inflation to go through the roof. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. 
but I mean, my rental income is going to be out of control. So <laughs> I mean, it's one of those something worked probably in the eighties and nineties, like hearing about CDs, like you get you what, six, eight, 10% yeah, out of yeah. bank. Oh my God. Oh man, I would have been crushing CDs back in the day. Are you serious? Guaranteed money like that? That's crazy. But you just have to adapt. If the rules change, you just got to adapt to it. That's the way I see it. I mean, it sucks. I think it's stupid. But if they're like, yeah, you're going to get charged for keeping something in your savings account. I'm going to park that money where I'm going to make money, not in the savings account. And then see how it plays out. Yeah. And that's where I'm trying to plug in people to, you know, especially if they, Real estate is, is one of those exit vehicles that, that I like to talk about, you know, right. entrepreneurship running, uh, you know, a simple online business model um, is, is another exit vehicle. And certainly real estate has, uh, in my mind, at least from getting started out, I think it has a lot less uh, of a time horizon to get there than maybe starting a business from scratch overall. Right. And uh, so I, I still think it's, I, I haven't been able to do nearly as much as, as I have wanted to. And that's, by choice as well. Cause I, I, <laughs> I left the military. I left income knowing right. what I was doing. And it, it was because, because I took different stances and I knew that I would have to get into sales and do other stuff, which is why I'm delving into the sales career that I have now. And it's while I, I do take that, I still want to meet people where they are. I still want right. to make sure that, um, I still want to make sure that if, even if, even if the system is corrupt and you're still working within that corrupt system, that doesn't mean you're corrupt, but I want to offer that additional Absolutely. piece where I can go, Hey, you can also funnel that money somewhere else to where it actually works for you in this corrupt system a lot more to a point where there, there legitimately could come a time where you can actually secede from the system uh, as much as you possibly can. And being, being able to fund things privately, you can start, uh, at least from what I see and what I want cash flow veteran eventually to be is right. having, you know, people like you and, and other network of people where we can actually use something, uh, like the infinite banking concept or other avenues that are out there to actually basically kind of be somewhat of angel investors for other veterans who are looking to succeed. So we can look into their business model. We can Absolutely. help coach them along and help actually build a business for them that is a generational business for those individuals mm-hmm. um, and basically kind of make a university of, of helping people do that. That's, that's ultimately what I see cash flow veteran really being overall. Um, but yeah, that. that's my, that's, that's my, I my love thing that. for that's sure. Beautiful. Um, just because I don't, I don't think that money's going to, I, I need, I'm trying to go back and find that specific politician. Cause I think the sentiment is true but they did, they tried to basically kind of revise social security back in the day, 1960s, 1970s. And I want to find the politician that said it, that basically was, you know, Hey, we're not going to have to worry about Like, I know you think that it's going to be insolvable, insolvent, which it technically is. Um, They're basically taking, taking from people right now and paying people immediately. They're just running it through some, uh, some tricks of accounting in order to make it look like it's actually going into the trust Uh and other stuff too, which, you know, functionally it is, but at the same time, it's it's really, you're just taking out of my pocket today and giving it to that other person tomorrow. That's really all that's going on. Um, and it's just an accounting show, but, uh, it, it's shocking to me when that politician just so cynically just says, it doesn't matter. They're still going to get paid what they're owed. 
it just, the money won't be worth anything. They're literally already understanding in those circles and those hollowed halls that they're just going to print the American dollar into oblivion. And it just bl- right. blows my mind that people aren't waking up to this. And again, not everyone, I mean, everyone's doing day-to-day stuff, you know, everyone's yeah. trying to live their life the best way they can. And that's why, I mean, just straight up just inflation and even appreciation in houses like California, if you bought a house in the eighties or nineties, spent a hundred grand, 150 grand. Now it's probably worth about five, 600,000. I yeah. mean, you're smart with that. You can complain about how expensive California is, or you can go buy a castle with a moat somewhere in Georgia and probably live off of interest of the leftover money you got. So, I mean, yeah. you just gotta be flexible. Yeah. Want to learn the history they didn't teach you in school? Check out Liberty Classroom put together by the one and only Tom Woods. He's brought along many of his colleagues to teach the politically incorrect version of history and economics that your teachers wouldn't dare teach you. Don't have time for lectures? Well, guess what? You can download the lectures directly onto your smartphone as well. My favorite so far has been the U.S. President's Best and Worst by Brian McClanahan. I found a new respect for some presidents that I've had and plenty more scorn for a lot of others. And no, I don't mean Trump. And no, I don't mean Obama. Please give me a little credit for having a little bit of nuance here. Uh, the next course for me is actually going to be How Freedom Settled the West by Brad Burson. I'm really excited about that one. And guess what? It wasn't regulation. It's not government bureaucracy. It was freedom that settled the West. Uh I don't need to move to Somalia to show you how a stateless society actually can function. There are plenty of examples in our own history, but history never stays the same. We never we're, we are people that are in space and time, and it's actually up to us to create and form the world that we want to live in. You can only do that by getting smarter every day and challenging your own assumptions. So come join thousands of other lifelong learners by signing up for Liberty Classroom. You can get there by going to cashflowveteran.com slash Liberty Classroom. That's one word, cashflowveteran.com slash Liberty Classroom. I know you and I were certainly influenced by, you know, REI Wealth Academy um, Mm -hmm. with with Keith and Roberta. And one of the things that I always thought was interesting is if you go back and look at any sort of 1930s, 1940s, 50s, like classified ads for homes and stuff. I mean, lease options were everywhere and that's their business model A to Z. And they, they do a great job of, of training it and teaching it. Um, And I certainly want to move into that, that space in that category. Although it, uh, for some people that, you know, it doesn't quite fit their mold and that's fine. There's plenty of different areas for, for real estate investing for sure. Um, But uh, there's an idea from uh, another author that I, that I've read that I kind of grabbed one of the other books that I had, it's called uh, by Douglas French called walk away the rise and fall of the home ownership myth. And he goes actually into the policies back in the night, basically after world war II, when they started making the VA loan, um, and excluding black people from the VA loan, let's not forget that. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll throw that in there. <laughs> you know, but, but they're coming up with policies and they, they create this myth of home ownership and the American dream. And that's where all these pension programs and all this other stuff comes from that mm-hmm. has been so devastating to companies. And it's, it's built on a lie. And the, uh, in reality, I think it starts coming actually from the military industrial complex in order to make mm-hmm. sure that that stuff can happen. They have to have more people 
they have to segment people's money away from them in a way that takes it, puts it in the stock market, that puts it in housing, puts it in all these other places of companies and organizations and industries that are so highly connected to legislators and to other parts of government that they are taking the power away from actual individual people to be able to vote with their dollar because it gets all tied up. And you look at, there's, you just look at how much debt individuals have accrued since then. And I think, you know, right. it's, it's kind of plain to see. Um, you just, it, you just have to kind of be understanding and, and find where to look for that stuff and to see those policies. And that's why I just, it's crazy to me how cynical those politicians are knowing that they're, they're just going to make whatever they can make. And so I just, going to check them either way. That's the sad part. Yeah. So that's why I encourage people like just, that's where you got to get a little bit selfish for yourself. I mean, if right. you want to be, if you want to live the life where you're actually taking care of other people for you, it, it, it takes the tool of money in order to really do that exactly. uh, at, at scale. It's not to say that you can't do things with your time and trade your time for that. And certainly money's not, not everything. It's not going to yeah. find you happiness. It's not going to find love. It's not going to do any of that stuff, but it, it certainly can. Um, it's, it certainly can make life a lot better. I remember uh, Daniel Tosh uh, talking mm -hmm. about the one. He's like, you never see, <laughs> you know, my, my, money can't buy happiness. Have you ever rode a jet ski? <laughs> yeah, jet skis are pretty daggone fun. So I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm happy every time I'm on a jet ski on the water, especially down in Florida. Um, well, let's get to some of these burst fire questions, man. I certainly appreciate you even allowing me to, to talk a little bit more than I normally like to. But no, absolutely. Um, so, uh, so I answer these as quick as you can. Um, so what's been the toughest thing about uh, real estate investing in the real estate industry for you? Uh, besides capital, which thank God for the VA loan, being able to do that for house hacking with zero money down, I would say breaking that comfort, that comfort zone. Yeah, right on. Can, okay. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you there. Cause I do want to, I want you to delve into this a little bit more. Can you explain what house hacking is for somebody that may not know, and especially why it might be powerful using the VA loan. I'm not the biggest fan of the VA loan, but when you're, when you're using it against the system to actually put some more money in, and hold some more money in your pocket, what do you specifically mean by house hacking? Uh, so that's basically, so everybody thinks about VA loan or basically loans as single family residences. You can get it up to four units and there is, if they didn't like that rule, they should probably change it. I don't know, but I mean, let's put it this way. I bought a triplex and I lived in one unit and I rented out the other two units and had my mortgage paid for by my renters and was basically banking all my BAH and my Air Force pay and living for free. That's the simplest way I can put that. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Now, I know that may not be always uh, what maybe people like myself who have a wife and three kids. Um, so you know, like trying uh, it's to get not my, the most comfortable and I'm over house hacking at this point. I got my, my two properties. I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. I want to live by <laughs> yeah. myself, walk around naked and do whatever I want. <laughs> what, but what a fantastic way to get started. Right. Right. Absolutely. Especially if you have uh, the VA loan, like you write a $500 check for earnest money and after rents are calculated and you get your closing costs covered, you get a check back for $500 or more at closing. It's is what it is. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so next question, uh, answer as quick as possible. So what resource has helped you the most in your field? 
YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> YouTube has so much information. I mean, the information age is fantastic. I just go in and I just type something in on the keyboard and somebody knows something about it. And ideally, I like to see they have a good bit of subscribers. I know I say that as I'm building a channel, a channel and have one subscriber, then I feel like I know a little bit of stuff. But getting that information from somebody who knows it so quickly and for free, it's so valuable. It's so awesome. Yeah, there's there's more content put on YouTube per day that an individual could watch in their lifetime. That's nuts. And I completely believe that. Yeah. Um, all right. So what do you think holds military members, their spouses, dependents, uh, or other veterans? What do you think holds them back from actually getting started in whatever endeavor that they're getting into? Comfort. So your brain is trained to keep you alive. So it keeps you in a comfortable place. It tries to keep you in homeostasis, keeps everything normal and balanced. So it keeps you risk averse. So once you start seeing some risk, your brain will literally, it's funny if you can actually notice if you're about to do something risky, you have that feeling and you start making up excuses that are probably completely irrelevant. It's hilarious to notice your brain doing that. Yeah. So basically it keeps you in that comfortable position. And I mean, Realistically, if you're in the military getting that guaranteed check all the time, I ain't even mad at it because I was getting a very, very nice check for the job that I was doing, and it wasn't bad at all. So I get it. You can be comfortable. Why not? That right there, I think, is why most military members don't. That's why I think they can shut the cognitive dissonance down when it, when we're talking about unjust wars and we're talking about other stuff it mm-hmm. is because at, at the fundamental, even though they might not admit it, I, I certainly think there is a a very instinctual and, and survival mechanism that says, well, our life is pretty good right now. Why would I want to yeah. jeopardize that by putting something in my brain that makes me question why I'd be getting right. it in the first place? Exactly. I completely agree with you. It's like, one of those things. You're allowed to be comfortable. Why not? Why would you ruin a good thing? Well, I asked people, I was like, why do you, why do, why do military members get taxed? Why not just pay them less and don't tax? That them? is what's, I feel like military industrial complex is just the tip of the pyramid scheme. That is yep. that whole government thing. And I'm like, okay, so you taxed a bunch of people and then you paid a bunch of military people and a bunch of gigantic corporations, but then you're taxing the people that you just paid. Yep. But then you're also incentivizing them investing in the TSP vehicle into the market. So I used to all the money and then just filtered it back in and then tax people on it again. I'm just like, this is insane. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess I didn't finish that thought earlier about uh, TSP and investing and stuff, the, the Roth, Roth IRAs and traditional stuff, 401ks. I, I really feel like the re- when they built that, you know, other than building the American dream of real estate and owning a home with a white picket fence and stuff, they also built the pension system and some of the other stuff that all of the major companies have gone away from except for the right. federal government. Um, but it's a way to socialize the losses where the biggest companies who are most connected can make sure that they're not taking the losses on it. Right. The people with those pensions are the people I mean, with those you can retirement do it smart. You, it's smart. If you can make money off of it, go for it. You got to get yours somehow. Yeah. Uh, so the last, uh, so how do, how do people overcome that then? Uh, you, you said that that comfort level. So how do people overcome that survival mechanism that they have? 
That's a very good question. I'm going to be honest with you. I just feel like some people are trigger pullers and some aren't. I don't know how to explain that in a nice way other than you have to be able to calculate your level of risk and be like, yeah, this is worth it. I try to just convince myself that if I have the ability and opportunity and time to make more money to create a better life for the future family that I have, or maybe help people out and be a philanthropist in the future, it would be selfish of me to be like, yeah, everything's fine right now. I'll stay status quo. It's cool. I'm, I don't need to expand or get better. I'll just stay here. I know. I just, I hate being stagnant. So. Well, for me, I think I, I really started listening to more of the anti-war voices and the, that mm-hmm. were also kind of tied into the Tom Woods was a huge influence for me. Um, right. Is it, and I, uh, I really forced myself to listen to things that I didn't believe and right. researching it, actually going to their, r- rather than actually just trying to just discount it. And, and right. I don't know what, what, you know, it's, I could have done that earlier on, but I, I think it was once, I guess my brain matured more that I really started going, let me just think about this oh, a little bit more. But yeah, I've grown in stances yeah. and thoughts as well. I've been like hardcore against some stuff. And then I just actually researched and listened to people that were different yeah. than me. And I was like, my opinion is slowly changing because I'm an adult. Yeah. I can take yeah, right? process new information <laughs> and I can be like, ah, oh, maybe I was wrong at one point. It's, it's a wild, wild concept. I know. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a fierce debater. Like I, I don't mind letting right. this part of my emotion go, but I, but I also understand the, that a lot of it might be rhetoric sometimes where the dialectic, like letting that reasonable part of my brain take over when it's just me, when I'm just listening and really kind of thinking through stuff and actually letting my brain actually do that. That's where I found I've probably changed the most. Um, Mm -hmm. even though I still don't mind doing, you know, fierce debates on stuff too. So, um, so last question here, uh, where can people find out more about you, your business? And I certainly want to go ahead and make sure we plug that YouTube channel of yours too. Um, as of right now, I realized that the YouTube channel name basically goes off of my Google accounts name. So if you look up Timothy choice, you'll see me probably sitting with Yosemite in the background yeah, right on. and one total subscriber. So you can go ahead and check that out there, but I'm more active on Instagram and that is choice underscore junior. So choice underscore Jr. And I'm a little bit of a comedian from time to time. So it's worth it. Yeah, shake, shaking up the game in the, in the real estate market there in, in Montana for sure. Oh, those um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we got uh, we got YouTube and Instagram, dude. I appreciate you coming on. Um, I, I look for I look forward to working with you. Uh, I'll have mm-hmm. you back on at some point in time too, just to talk about whatever you want to talk about. And I, I certainly, uh, you got a big brain that I'd love to dig into a little bit more. Um, and uh, again, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for having me, man. All right, brother. We'll take it easy. All right, later. Want to know how I get my day started right and how I stay on task throughout the day? I've tried tailoring a bunch of different planners and journals to include, you know, what I'm grateful for, goal settings, habit tracking, and it always seemed that I was doing more work every single day just setting up my planner and keeping track of the whole thing. And then I discovered bestself.co and I got the self journal. And this was quite a few years ago. You can even check out my blog for one of the unpacking and a little bit of explanation there too. But it has all that stuff that I was trying to physically write in all right there in the pages. Has goal setting, daily habit tracking, has the agenda for the day. 
and a daily reflection. And each journal goes for a 90-day period so that you can keep track of your 90-day goals. Plus, the support they give you to get organized and plan that next 90 days is second to none. Well, right now, I'm actually trying to see if I like the self-planner that actually covers a six-month period. So I'm putting a lot more content out, and I like to see a bigger view of my weeks and my months while I still manage my daily activities, journaling my insights, scoring those goals that I've set for myself, and tracking my habits. And that's not all they got. They have a ton more. But if you're looking for the right journal or planner for you, check out Best Self. To support the show, go to cashflowveteran.com slash best self. And if you decide to buy through my link, I get to do more for the show and more for cashflow veterans out there who are seceding from the system. That's the episode. Thanks so much for listening. I really would appreciate your support through any of the advertising, the affiliate links I share, or you can go to cashflowveteran.com slash support and click on the $5 tip jar and send a cup of coffee my way. Also, I'd love to hear from you. And you can easily do that by downloading the anchor.fm app and leave me a voice message with a comment or a question or a topic that you'd like me to cover. And I'll see what I can do with that. Take it easy.